Oh my god, I don't believe it. Tell me that's not our old spirit board. Yeah, I found it in the basement when I was looking for the circuit tester. To my three beautiful girls, may this give you the light to find the shadows. The power of three will set you free. Love, Mom. We never did figure out what this inscription meant. Well, we should send it to Phoebe. That girl is so in the dark, maybe a little bit of light will help. You're always so hard on her. Piper, the girl has no vision. No sense of the future. I really think Phoebe's coming around. Well, as long as she doesn't come around here, I guess it's good news. I mean, welcome to Welcome to Hallowell Manor. I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this is a brand spanking new podcast. Yes, this is our second television recap podcast. We just, in September, wrapped up a podcast recapping Once Upon a Time. All seven seasons. Oh, that last season. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) Speaking of. Speaking of rough last seasons, Charmed. Yes, so if you are joining us from Welcome to Storybrooke, welcome back, and if you just found us by searching for Charmed, welcome! Uh, We're going to start at the very beginning, which I have heard is the very best place to start. Yes. Well, uh, not the very, very beginning, because that would be the unaired Charmed pilot. We are not going to talk about the unaired Charmed pilot. I did think that maybe we should do that at some point, or maybe as like a preview episode, but it's the exact same script, just with a different actress playing... Alyssa Milano's character? Yes. Phoebe Hallowell? Yes. When did you first start watching Charmed? So, I first started watching Charmed when I was in law school. So, that was uh, somewhere between 2007 and 2010. Mm-hmm. I started watching Charmed because I had rewatched Buffy about a million times. That was actually my morning routine. I would wake up in the morning and I would turn on Buffy while I was getting ready and I would just work my way through the whole series, work my way through Angel, and then start over. And I just reached a point where I just watched enough Buffy. I mean, I know that's a ridiculous statement, but I needed needed something else. And so a friend recommended this as kind of a bad Buffy, like a Buffy light. It's Buffy methadone. Yeah. I used it in a similar way, although my experience was different. I definitely started watching Charmed before you did. Oh, yeah? When did you start watching Charmed? In middle school, which was far, far before 2007. Uh, I started watching it as Buffy Methadone because I was waiting for the DVDs of Buffy to come out. I was watching it through DVD because it was not airing where I lived. And while Charmed was also very much not on DVD, uh, it was playing on, God, I don't know what network, but it was playing on one of my networks basically all the time. Okay, like like on USA or something? Yeah, it was like USA or, I want to say UPN, but I know that's wrong. But it was playing a lot on TV, so I started watching. It actually threw me right into the Evil Phoebe arc. What a weird place to start. Although, to be fair, my first episode of Buffy was Sub Rosa because I just turned on the TV, and that is a weird place to start. The episode immediately after Once More with Feeling. Really? Yeah. Huh. 
Tabla Rosa. Tabla Rosa. Yeah, sorry. Sub Rosa is the uh, Highland sex ghost episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. Little different. Little different. Not that much different from Charmed, though. That episode would have fit in perfectly in Charmed. I actually got the first season of Charmed when it came out on DVD. And fun fact about those, like, when I get DVDs, I don't care about the extra features. I just want to watch the episode. And for the first time, I bought a DVD and it was just, like, the episodes. Like, it was the plainest, probably cheapest DVD. I was like, you know what? This is good. This is exactly what I want. Oh, see, we're different there. I love director commentary or cast commentary, you know, commentary tracks. And there are not any available on Charmed, which makes me very sad. Because I would love to hear some background on Charmed. You know what would be amazing? A commentary track that's just Shannon Doherty throwing shade at everyone. I was about to say, I feel like the reason you don't see commentary tracks on Charmed is because Charmed... It's legendary for a lot of things, but one of the biggest is cast drama. Yes. According to Shannon Doherty, the reason she and Alyssa Milano didn't get along is because they were both child stars, and that made them both kind of prima donnas. Wow, that's a little harsh on Holly Marie Combs, who I believe was also in things as a child. Wasn't she a child in Picket Fences? I do not know. I, I, that is not a fact I knew. But also, I think Shannon Doherty got along with Holly Marie Combs. In fact, she wouldn't do the show unless Holly Marie Combs was going to do the show as well. Which is funny, because when she was fired, Piper was still there. Yeah, I, I get the impression Holly Marie Combs got along pretty well with all of her co-actresses. Well, I mean, she still tweets about them, and she still appears to be friendly with everyone, so. Which is interesting given the role Piper has especially in the early seasons when she is the middle sister who is constantly playing peacekeeper. Should we get into the episode itself? Uh, first, before we do, I just wanted to say that I think a bunch of people were using this as Buffy methadone because Charmed was the number one premiere in WB history back when the WB still existed. Charmed was, and I'm not sure if this is still true, but to my knowledge, Charmed was also, at least for some time, the longest-running show with all-female leads. That is true as well, beating out the former Charlie's Angels, hmm. which was also an Aaron Spelling show. Which also had a fair amount of cast turbulence. Interesting. All right, let's get into the episode. All right. Just in case you didn't know where this show takes place. Get ready for the first of, God, a million? Two million? Seven million? establishing shots of san francisco yeah specifically in this case the golden gate bridge which is funny this show was actually shot in los angeles so i think they just had a lot of shots of the golden gate bridge that they sprinkled around so that you would feel like you were in san francisco you know how the simpsons has that one opening couch gag that they use when an episode is running short where you know the circus one the circus one that's like a minute and a half yes I feel like you can tell when an episode of Charmed is running short by how many establishing shots of San Francisco they have, because there are some episodes where it's like two, three minutes of just establishing that this show takes place in San Francisco. Yeah, this show has a lot of establishing shots of very San Francisco stereotypical things, and then nothing in the actual show looks like San Francisco. Much like Full House. Which makes me think that Full House takes place in the Charmed universe. I don't have anything to follow that up with. I just want it noted that Full House almost certainly takes place in the Charmed universe. If there was a crossover episode where the Charmed Ones vanquished Uncle Joey, 
That would be amazing. It would be amazing. Shows should cross over like that again. Yes. I mean, Urkel came over to the full house. Yeah, but... Oh. I mean, he didn't kill anyone, but... <laughs> you sound so disappointed. That would make it the greatest episode of TV ever. All right, let's talk about this show. All right. So, we've talked a lot about this show being Buffy Methadone, but I feel like we should also be clear what it really is, which is an attempt to make a new Buffy. This is definitely, this show has a very strong trying to capitalize off Buffy vibe. Well, and I feel like the very first scene both shows how it's trying to be Buffy and how it fails to be Buffy. We open on a lonely woman, a lonely blonde woman. You know she's lonely because she's feeding a cat. Yes, in her apartment, setting up her witchly altar and lighting the candles by touching them. Now, this scene reminded me of the iconic first scene of Buffy, where there's a skeezy older guy hitting on a schoolgirl who then turns out to be Darla, turns out to be a vampire who, you know, eats him. And I feel like they were trying to do the same thing here, where they were like, oh, she's just a lonely old woman. And then, just kidding, she's a witch. Except, lonely old woman feeding a cat is a witch stereotype. So it didn't flip things on its head the way Buffy did. So I feel like, as I said, this scene is both trying to be Buffy and failing. To be clear, when we say old, we mean like tv old so like oh yeah she's like 25 yeah 30 i I was gonna say she's tv old so she's like 40 in fact i said old woman she's clearly not an old woman it's just this scene would clearly work better if she was so in my head i keep recasting her the important thing is that she's older than the main characters and she is blonde is it important that she's blonde I feel like it is. We won't get to it for a very long time, but there is the anti-charmed ones who are all blonde. Oh, yeah. I don't know if that's just a thing about there not being a ton of brunettes as, like, or if brunette is, like, a more inherently witchy hair color. I, I, I don't know, but let's make a note for the next several years to think about when evil people are blonde, when magical people are brunette, and how that works. When evil people or when victims are blonde. Yes, interesting. I can think right now of one notable blonde witch, but she won't show up until the last season. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And but she puts a wig over her blonde hair. She does to do her... Oh, her God. witchy arts? Her, witch, her witchy martial arts? Oh, Billy. Oh. Billy, 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 Billy. So, this episode is called Something Wicca This Way Comes. Yes, and this episode was written by Constance M. Burge, who you might know as creating this show. Mm -hmm. And it was directed by John T. Kretschmer, who has directed several episodes of television, uh, both of this show and other shows. Several episodes of Veronica Mars, two episodes of Buffy. Hmm. You want to take a crack at which two episodes of Buffy he directed? They were, they were both early episodes. One was season one and one was season two. The Witch? Nope. Oh, that would have been good. That would have been a good thing for me to ask you to guess. No, he directed The Harvest. And Reptile Boy? No, School Hard. Huh. Yeah, two phenomenal episodes of Buffy. It surprises me he only did two. And they're both like intro 
Yeah, that's true. So, Constance M. Burge is an interesting figure in charmed mythology. We're going to talk about her more as time goes on and the everlasting battle against evil she wages for the first three seasons or so. And by evil, you mean the WB? Yeah, I think that she's a really interesting figure in charmed mythology and the role that she plays and sort of what happens to the show after she leaves there's a certain spark that just kind of goes out. Yeah, and the show kind of loses its focus. It's really about sisters and family at the beginning, and it... We'll talk about it, but it kind of becomes about something else once she leaves. Not just sisters and family, but witchcraft. There's more spiritualism in her seasons. I want to look into it more when we see who wrote which episodes. Mm-hmm. But I believe that Constance Emberge was actually heavily involved in Wicca. There's a lot of Wicca 101 with Inspector Andy in this episode. It feels like if she wasn't very heavily into Wicca, she at least did her homework. And there's a lot of spirituality that leaves the show af- uh, as she does. That sounds about right, yeah. So this blonde, not old woman is lighting candles. I know, I feel guilty for calling her old though. She's probably younger than I am. Sorry, continue. Uh, She's lighting candles at her altar. She is calling out to the spirits, uh, to the master of moon and sun, to protect her and all who dwell within her circle. Not a very good spell though. It is not a good spell because she immediately gets stabbed. Yeah, with her own athame. Which, also, she has a cat who we will come to know as Kit, who is her familiar and just fucking books it. Yeah, that cat is like, I know which side my bread is buttered on, and it is not with you anymore. He's like, you're on your own, lady. Kit out. Although I think Kit's a girl. Oh, yeah, I'm actually pretty sure Kit is a girl. So the cat, Amscrays, the woman turns around to see her attacker, and she's like, oh, Hello, attacker, whose name I'm not going to say, so it'll come as a surprise later in the episode. What you doing with that knife? Oh, no. Ah! Dead. Yes. Now, they don't say it in this episode, but in Wicca, using an athame to draw blood is not good. It's a Mm no-no. It's a knife that's used to direct energy, not to cut things. You use a different knife to draw blood. So it's a... So this scene is a particular... um, profanity literally profaning the sacred and since you mentioned how much wicca there is in this episode which there is i'm certain constance burge knew that when she wrote that scene yeah it's a kind of neat thing it's like i guess the opposite of reading a dan brown book where the more you know the cooler it is yeah you mean in this show the more you know the cooler it is as opposed to dan brown where the more you know the more you're like you know robert langdon's like these these artifacts in the city create a perfect cross if you map them out. And you're like, no, they don't. Like, I mean, maybe in the sense that, like, one is a wiggly line in one direction and one's a wiggly line in another direction that's at, like, not even 90 degrees, like, 80 degrees. I guess it's more like Futurama. Where, like, there's a whole bunch of very unnecessary but accurate math stuff in the background. Yes! This is, this is, the, this is the witch equivalent of the physics in Futurama. Yes. 
Charmed and Futurama. Basically the same show. Heard it here. So we cut away from this horrible murder to Piper Hollowell, the first charmed one we are going to meet, played by the lovely Holly Marie Combs. Yes, this is, yes, Piper is the first Hollowell we meet and also will be the last Hollowell we see on screen seven years from now. Yeah, which is a very neat piece of symmetry and definitely unintentional. Did I say seven? I believe it's nine. Oh, I think, or eight? Yes, you're right. It's eight. Yes. Eight years from now, she'll be the last Hollowell we see on screen. Piper, I'm not sure that's unintentional. Yeah, there, there is a lot of effort to make the first and last episodes match for actually both uh, times they thought they had a series finale. Yes. I'm going to admit, I, I'm going to put this out there in the universe. Holly Marie Combs, Piper Hollowell is my favorite character out of the three sisters. Really? Yeah, uh, right from the beginning, and honestly, when she gets her sharp personality shift around season four, even after that. So, my favorite sister is Phoebe, Mm -hmm. until we get Paige, and then Paige is my favorite. Oh, so just like a little sister thing going on. That's weird, huh? There you are. So, yeah. I feel like Piper gets a lot of the stronger personality-based story arcs. Yeah, that's true. And Piper's the one who gets a more traditional story arc. Like, she gets your classic woman-trying-to-have-it-all story. Oh, God. I mean... I just... I'm sorry. I just, like, threw myself into uh, Morticia Adams here. Just a woman trying to have it all. Husband, career... I just wish I had more time to commune with the black arts. Yes, to although, paraphrase. Although you're right. Uh, literally, Piper's storyline in the pilot is about balancing love life and work. Yeah. She basically has her own weird contained rom-com in the first episode. That's weird and accurate. Yeah. So piper is living in her grandmother's home her grandmother has died recently yes we learn later in this episode that she first got sick six months ago so and she's been according to prue in this scene dead for months so prue is the second sister we meet she's the oldest uh she took more of a maternal role we'll find out later that their mother died prue is the eldest sister and the protector of the family and she is the one played by Shannon Doherty, so don't get too attached. Shannon Doherty doing a voice, apparently. It wasn't until I saw her in other things where I'm like, her Prue voice is fake. Okay, I don't... We've talked about this. Mm-hmm. I don't think Shannon Doherty is putting on a voice when she does Prue. I think she's putting on a voice when she plays Shannon Doherty in BH90210, because I think she's trying to appear super, super nice. That is definitely what she's trying to do in BH90210. I think she's trying to, like, ape how she thinks nice people talk. Prue has a kind of low husky voice, which really works for the character. Yes, it gives her her motherly energy. She has gravitas in a way a lot of the other characters don't. She's a force to be reckoned with in the show, which is something we'll see more and more as the show goes on. So Piper has received a package which has a fancy wine her boyfriend got her for a job interview. See, right off the bat, Piper, 
boyfriend job interview. It's a port, which is a concentrated one. And Piper is a chef, obviously. She's getting ready for her audition meal with the chef that Prue refers to as a knockoff Wolfgang Puck. And keep in mind, this port is a very important ingredient in the marinara sauce that she is going to make. Mm. So, uh, Prue has been clearing out the house, trying to get it fixed up uh, since their grandmother died, and she has uncovered the girl's old spirit board. I'm sorry, their what? Okay, see, fun fact, Ouija is a fictional term that was made up by the Parker brothers. It is owned and copywritten by them. So, in order to have a Ouija board in your TV show, if you're not going to cut off a thick chunk of cashola for the Parker Brothers, you need to make up your own term, the go-to term being spirit board. Yes, it's your classic Ouija board, although it's like a giant wooden plank that looks like a raw piece of a giant redwood that's just been chopped off and and turned into a you know, game board. Yeah, it looks like a piece of lightning hit an oak tree, knocked just a big chunk out of it, and someone shellacked it and put uh, letters all over it. Yes, burned burned letters in. And a triquatra. Yes, the symbol of the Charmed Ones. So we'll be seeing that a lot. There's also an inscription on the back of the spirit board. The spirit board apparently belonged to their mother. Their mother left it to them, and they never really understood what the inscription meant, but it referred to the three sisters, and although we have not yet met the third sister, at this point Piper and Prue will talk about their flighty sister Phoebe so that we know that she exists, and also that she's flighty. This is where we get a little more of Piper, a little more of Piper's role in the first few seasons as the peacemaker between the two of them. Prue and Phoebe both have very... I believe the diplomatic term is strong personalities. Yeah. They do not get along. Prue is upset at Phoebe for not being around after their grandmother died. Uh, Piper is trying to very subtly ease Prue into the idea uh, that Phoebe may re-enter their lives. Prue is not having any of it. While they are having this discussion, in the background, the... The pointer. The pointer on the spirit board starts to slowly move. Now, they never say actually what's causing the pointer to move, but I assume that it's their mother, Patricia. Yes, Patty Hollowell. Yes. There, there is a thing later in the show. There are two powerful magical items, one which almost immediately stops getting used, the spirit board, and the other, the Book of Shadows. These items belonged respectively to their mother and grandmother. Um... The Book of Shadows can move independently, too. We're led to believe that that is the ghost of their grandmother manipulating the book to help them out. So I think it's fair to say that the uh, spirit board is being manipulated by the ghost of their mother. I think it's interesting that this show established early and kept on consistently with the idea that there are certain objects tied to certain people and that... The movement of those things indicates that that ghost is there kind of watching over. The spirit board for Patty, the book of shadows for their grandmother, and once she dies, the front door of the house for Prue. This episode and every season finale episode after this ends with the door to the manor closing on its own. In this episode, it's clear that Prue is the one doing it. She's standing there. She's telekinetically closing it. And after she dies, it's implied that it's her ghost doing it. 
God, can you imagine how much it would suck? Your your grandmother gets your ancestral tome of power. Your mother gets a legitimate way to connect to the spirit realm. You get a door. Well, I think Prue gets the whole manor. I think that this is showing... You talked about how motherly she is. I think Prue is literally the heart of the house. Which also sucks for her, given how much it explodes later. It's basically the Xavier Mansion. It's nice for the producers, though, because it means they can indicate the Prue's around without having to pay Shannon Doherty to come back. <laughs> Likeness rights. Oh. We're, this is this is not a spoiler-free podcast. There are going to be a lot of spoilers in this podcast. Prue eats it. Phoebe becomes the queen of hell at one point. Piper has a million god babies. Actually, she has two babies. One's a god baby and the other's Chris. Yeah, but the one that is a god baby is a baby of a million gods. So I think that's still accurate. He's a million gods, like, stuffed into one baby. Oh, yes. He is the most powerful baby in the universe! And also the true king of England. Yes, he is also the true king of England and the most powerful baby in the universe. And he may or may not go evil in the future. The far-off year of probably 2000, what, 12? Oh, God. I don't want to get there and see. Oh, my goodness. We get the opening credits, which... do you? God, do you remember when shows had opening credits? I... No, they go on forever. You know, as we were watching it, I was thinking, should I hit the skip credits button? Or since we're doing a podcast, should we actually commit ourselves to sitting and watching the whole thing? And I thought, wait, what did we do with Once Upon a Time? And then I remember, they didn't do this nonsense. Title card. Episode starts. Credit should be at most four seconds. We're such millennials. I don't have time to sit for these Gen X credit sequences. I know who's in the show. I have a tiny computer in my hand. Also, I'm obviously binge watching this. If I wanted to see the credit sequence, I watched it the first time. I don't need to see it every other time. It's bizarre because Netflix created binge watching, but I nearly... This was before they put the skip intro thing, but... When I tried watching Orange is the New Black the first time, I was like, oh my god, I can't watch more than a few episodes of this show because it just takes so long. Just skip past the credits. I mean, I know they didn't have a skip credit yeah, button I, yet, I'd but you could just... scroll through. But... Yeah, like, we all did. And it's not a bad song either. It's not a bad opening credit sequence. It's just so long. You can only see it so many times. I had the same issue with Weeds, where I like the opening credit, but... You can only hear little boxes so many times. You know, for a while, Hulu tried... If you were binge watching it, when it jumped you to the next episode, it would jump you past when the credits opened, which sounds like a good idea for a second until you remember that means you missed the cold open of every episode. So speaking of cold opens, this isn't. This is the episode proper. I, I feel weird calling this the episode proper because we got so much in the pre-credits. It's true, we did. Well, I mean, we got introduced to the Charmed Ones, minus Phoebe, who only got talked about. But now we get introduced to a couple other main characters. Yes, Andy and Daryl. So These are two detectives. Who are in the opening credits. I can't believe Andy and Daryl are in the opening credits. I mean, they're pretty important. They're if you're having a show with people who are supernatural who are going to try to affect the world in a story that has a modern setting, you have to have a connection to the cops. Otherwise, there's a lot of questions. Yes. 
Andy and Daryl are the connection to the cops. They are both homicide detectives, one of whom has a history with a certain Hallowell sister. True. So, would you say Andy is the Jesse of this show? You mean in that he shows up is very important, and then we basically don't see him again? Yeah, I would call him the Jesse of this show, except he's very important for a whole season, and then we disappear, and then he disappears and basically never gets mentioned again. He's more like the Chuck Cunningham. Mm. Or, I mean, let let's be fair. He's the Graham. Yeah, yeah. Oh, poor Graham. Because he does get a few post mortem mentions. By the way, heads up, Andy dies. <sighs> poor Andy. Poor Andy. Poor T.W. King. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he sure has a lot of gel in his hair. Well, it was the it 90s, was the... 2000s? It was the 90s, I'm pretty sure. Wait, wait, no, no, it was... Yeah, 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 this episode aired in uh, 1998. Actually, it aired October 7th, 1998. So we're actually not starting this podcast too far off from, you know, the anniversary of this show. Oh, cool. So, it's not so much in this episode, but later he will have a serious hair gel problem. It was the times at the time. But, uh, yeah, he's got a sort of Fox Mulder light thing going on. He does! Yes, absolutely. That's light, L-I-T-E. Yes. As was the style at the time. In this scene, detectives Andy and Daryl are investigating the murder of this witch, and Andy is unloading all of this witch information he picked up by going to the local witch store and getting all the witch information he could. Daryl does not want to hear any of this, which is weird. He's acting like Andy's talking crazy when Andy's giving him a fairly succinct... Accurate representation of Wicca? Yeah, he's like, someone is killing practitioners of Wicca around our city and daryl's like i don't want to hear any of that that's crazy nonsense and andy's like no like wick is an actual religion actual people actually practice and like it's... these women were all practicing it and daryl's like that's crazy you're crazy that's crazy yeah daryl's like there's no such thing as witches it's like you are aware there are lots of women who practice wicca like and men at what yeah and and non-binary people but this is 1998 so yeah there are lots of people who practice wicca and the thing is and he brings this up he says okay let me put it this way do you believe in aliens and daryl's like no and he's like okay fine do you believe in people who believe in aliens and daryl's like yeah but they're crazy and andy's like that's not my question i think accurate thing for him to have said to daryl would have been do you believe in buddha and the answer would be no and then the question is but you do believe in buddhists right (laughs) because daryl's dismissals he's like oh don't let the brass hear you talking about this or they're gonna haul you off like he's found a link between all of apparently a bunch of women who are practicing wicca have been murdered in the city this is the latest in a string of murders Andy has found a an element that links all of these murder victims, but Daryl doesn't want to hear about it because it's crazy. Also, an element that you would think could by itself serve as a motive if you had some sort of off-kilter fundamentalist murderer. 
Or, in this case, a warlock who hunts witches, but they don't know that. Which Andy brings up. He's like, someone's hunting witches. And Daryl's like, uh, this isn't, this isn't Salem in the 1600s. And it's like, you you remember the satanic panic, right? That wasn't that long ago. Also, those women weren't witches. Yes. Uh, The satanic panic was its own completely different thing. Oh, no. Oh, you meant in Salem. Yeah, I meant in Salem. Those women weren't witches. Also, they weren't Satanists during the Satanic Panic. Also, Daryl should personally remember the Satanic Panic. He was definitely an adult during it. After they have it out, Daryl goes off to do some more investigating, and Andy is approached by Jeremy Burns, a reporter who wants the scoop. God, Burns. Burns. Yes, like like fire. Yeah, like, no, I like, got like, it. Like hell. I got it. I got it. He's a warlock. He he's a warlock. He's, but more importantly to this scene, he is a reporter who's like, hey, what happened here? I sure don't know what happened here because I definitely wasn't the person who murdered this lady. And Andy's like, shut up, reporter. I don't need to tell you nothing. Which I mean, that it's a it's a it's an open murder investigation. I mean, that's not the worst thing for him to do. Yeah. Back at Hallowell Manor. Prue is still trying to get the chandelier to work. She was in the first scene where we saw her trying to get the chandelier to work. Does this have a deeper meaning? The chandelier does this magic thing uh, in this episode when their powers are unlocked. And again later when we meet Paige, I think it's supposed to have some deeper connection to the magic of the house, but it doesn't come up as much as, you know, the hollow in the basement. Okay, between watching the show just on my own and watching the show in preparation for this podcast, I've probably seen this episode like 10 times and I never noticed the chandelier activating. Yeah. Even though I was primed to notice it because I noticed Prue talking about the chandelier so much. Anyway. Piper is still subtly trying to plant the idea that maybe it wouldn't be so bad if Phoebe moved back in with them to Prue. She She's talking about how hey, maybe they uh, could get a roommate and in exchange for a rent break, they'd help, you know, fix stuff around the house. And Prue's like, that's a good idea. And Piper says, well, you know, Phoebe's really good with a wrench, which, (laughs) no, I doubt that. I highly doubt that. Well, I could see first season Phoebe being good with a wrench. That's true. She gets weirdly less competent as the show goes on. A lot of... As her confidence rises, her competence lowers. Yes. Uh, Prue's like, yeah, but it's not like Phoebe's going to show up and start trying to live with us. And Piper's like, oh. So apparently Phoebe has gone off to New York. We don't know this at the time, but we will find out later in this episode the reason she went to New York was to look for their estranged father. Hmm. So it makes sense to me that Prue is upset. That's a thing that's worth getting angry about. So Prue actually has a bunch of reasons that she's angry with Phoebe, one of which will only be important in this episode. Oh, yes, yes, we'll talk about that in a second. But Piper points out to Prue that the house was left to the three of them in their grandmother's will, so they can't exactly tell Phoebe she can't live there. She's ditched being subtle, and she's just like, hey, Phoebe wants to move back in with us. I've been talking to her behind your back. She lost her job. She's out of money. She needs a place to stay, and you can't say no. And then Alyssa Milano just walks through the door. So this is either terrible timing or amazing timing. Yeah, she's like, found the hide-a-key, and I really like Phoebe's character early on. 
Phoebe's kind of a screw-up. She's the youngest sister. She's the baby of the family. She was a bad kid. Well, I also feel like Phoebe, as the youngest, is the one who everyone always assumed would screw up, but she wasn't really given a chance. She wasn't really given her independence to try things on her own, and that added to her both not learning to do things on her own, but also not getting a chance to appear competent. She's got a real youngest sibling thing going on. I do like this particular take on the character where she's got what I suppose would be the sisterly equivalent of the reformed rake. It's really interesting to introduce a character at the end of a particular character arc. Yeah. Because she was rebellious in the past. She's not now, but she's in a sort of intermediary stage where she's moving into being a more responsible person but she still has to deal with all of the baggage of things she had done in the past when she walks in prue immediately assumes that her plan is to pressure the other two sisters into selling the house so she can take the money and run off and be irresponsible again but phoebe tells her that no she wants to move in she wants to reestablish their sisterly bonds she wants to be a part of this family, which includes this house that's been in their family for generations. Phoebe also mentions the thing that really shattered their bond as sisters, which was an incident with Prue's ex-fiancé. Yes, Prue thinks that Phoebe had sex with her fiancé, and her fiancé confirmed that. Phoebe says that's not true, that she did not have sex with Roger. I'm not sure if I'm just not remembering, but is this all we ever get of that backstory? I think this is all we ever get of that backstory. I also think this speaks to a running flaw in Prue's character, which... Where she believed Roger over Phoebe? Yes. She has a real strong tendency to lack faith in her sisters, which, which comes from being the oldest and feeling like she always has to be responsible and feeling like she's treating them like children now, even though they're women in their 20s. Honestly, a lot of the early character work in Charmed is incredibly solid. Yeah. Piper is trying to smooth things over, as is her role. That's, that's the middle child role, right? Yeah, she's like, look, I knew that Phoebe was coming, so I've prepared a nice reunion dinner so we can all sit and kind of cool down a little bit. And Phoebe says, I ate on the bus, which I take to mean that she took a bus from New York to San Francisco. Ooh, that could not have been fun. No, that does not sound like a pleasant trip. Also, earlier in this scene, Piper mentioned that she's known for two weeks that Phoebe was going to come join them. Honestly, Phoebe probably got on that bus two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Prue uh, Prue says she's not hungry, Uh, Phoebe says that she ate on the bus, and they both go off to separate parts of the house. We cut to Phoebe in her bedroom, what will presumably be her bedroom, watching a newscast about the murdered girl. On a thick-ass old TV. It's so so small and thick. Uh, I know, well, it's 1998. Uh, Since you brought up the thick-ass TV, and also there's some real grandmotherly furniture in this room and decorations, the lamps, the wallpaper, it's all very grandmotherly. Mm -hmm. I just wanted to bring up, this house was presumably these three women's childhood home, right? Phoebe mentions it. She's like, I grew up here too. When uh, Prue's like, we're not selling the house. Phoebe's like, I know, this is my house. I grew up here. We all grew up here. Isn't it weird that there doesn't seem to be any remnant of their childhood in their rooms? 
that does seem kind of bizarre. And I mean, I get it not in Piper's room or not in Prue's room because they've moved in there as adults a few months ago. They do say that they both had apartments that they gave up to move into this house. But, I mean, Phoebe's room should look like a teenager's room. It it gets mentioned a few times that Phoebe left when she was really young. And I don't believe that Graham is the type of woman who would have immediately, like, turned it into a sewing room. She would have kept it Phoebe's room so that Phoebe would feel like she could come back. Honestly, given what we see of Graham's later, I know Graham's does not have the most consistent personality, but I could kind of see her immediately changing Phoebe's room to just another bedroom. No, because Graham's was always looking towards the three of them reestablishing the power of three, so she would have wanted it to be as welcoming to Phoebe as possible. Mm. Graham's wasn't really a people person, though. That's true, but she was a family person. Let's ask Victor about that. Victor Victor wasn't her family. That's true. You're either a blood relative or you're out of her house. Exactly. Piper uh, Piper has brought up food for Phoebe because she knows that she didn't actually eat on the bus and that she'd be hungry. And as you say, she's practicing her role as the peacekeeper, trying to explain to Phoebe, oh, Prue just feels like she has to mother us. She just feels like she's responsible. And like you had it easy. Like you didn't have to be responsible for anything. It's kind of, Piper is trying to smooth things over, but she is also kind of riling up both Prue and Phoebe. Hints of who Piper would end up being. Hints of who Piper would end up being. She's trying to be a peacemaker, but she's not great at it. She reminded Prue that, you know, she told Prue that Phoebe was coming because she got fired and has no other place to go. And now she's telling Phoebe that Prue thinks she's a total fuck up and that's why it's so hard for her to be in a room together. So are you trying to say that maybe she's not a peacekeeper? Maybe she's secretly a shit stirrer? I mean, or maybe you could be both? No, I think she's trying to be a peacekeeper. She just is kind of bad at it. Ah. Like, she is kind of bad at being a chef, as we will see later in this episode. Oh, I have notes about that. So Prue brings in some blankets, because she says this room is always the most drafty. So she's trying to... Make a peace offering to Phoebe. A peace offering where she doesn't actually have to talk to Phoebe. Those are the best kinds of peace offerings. But it is a nice point of connection between the two. Yes. So, back at the murder scene, Andy points out that the murder victim has the same tattoo as the other two murder victims. And brings up his whole witch theory again. Daryl dismisses it again. They are really hammering this point home. Daryl has an interesting role with the occult. Daryl is going to be in this show for a very, very long time, and the attitude we're seeing him have here towards magic will last far beyond Andy. Yeah, and I thought you were going to say far beyond when it should. Like, there's a point in time where it's no longer rational to deny what it is that you're seeing. Their argument over whether or not witches are real is interrupted by the cat, which did not help that woman at all when she was being murdered. Yes, the cat makes an appearance, and Daryl warns Andy not to touch it because apparently it scratched the fuck out of everyone else, but it immediately lets Andy pick it up and cuddle it. Mm. And he sees that on its collar is a medallion with the triquatra on it. Yes, the same symbol we saw on the spirit board. Speaking of which... 
we cut from that back to the Hallowell Manor where Phoebe and Piper are messing around with the spirit board. And talking about Jeremy, who is Piper's boyfriend. Yes, the reporter we saw earlier is Piper's boyfriend. And Piper is telling Phoebe the story of how they met. Phoebe's acting like it's cute, but it is actually a super creepy meet-cute. He saw her crying at the hospital when Grams was first admitted, and he gave her a napkin to cry on that had his phone number on it. He hit on her! When she was in the hospital, upset about her sick grandmother. What kind of monster? Well, I guess we're going to find... I didn't I didn't even do that on purpose. Yeah. We're literally going to find out what kind of monster does that. <laughs> Piper gets up to leave the room for a moment. And all of a sudden, the spirit board pointer starts moving on its own. And honestly, the spirit board pointer is just fucking with Phoebe. Because as soon as she's alone, it starts moving on its own. And she's like, it's moving on its own! And then Piper gets back and it stops moving. It's going all Michigan J. Frog here. I. It's pretty great because it is not answering the question that Phoebe asked it. Well, the question that Piper asked it, which is, is Prue going to have sex at any point this year? And Phoebe's like, gross. Please say yes. That was a gross question. But instead of saying whether or not Prue is going to have sex at any point this year, it tells Phoebe to go to the attic. Well, it spells out the word attic. That could mean don't go to the attic. That could mean there's dangerous demons in the attic. It could mean that Prue's going to have sex in the attic. Yeah, it could. Prue uh, Prue points out, hey, you're obviously moving it yourself. The attic has been locked for since Grandma died. They haven't been able to get into the attic since their grandmother died. Yes, and Phoebe's like, "No, I'm going. I'm going to go check it out." I do like that Piper sees it move. Yeah, Piper. After Prue leaves the room, Prue comes into the room when she hears Phoebe screaming about it. But then she leaves, and it does begin to move on its own with no one touching it. So. Piper and Phoebe are both aware that it is telling them to go to the attic. And then all the lights go out in the house because there's a storm and it's an old house and that's how it works. Piper is the one person who would survive in a horror movie. She's like, nope, hard pass. I saw that thing moving by itself and then the lights went out. I'm going to get in a taxi and go to Jeremy's, which would be the right move in a horror movie were it not for what Jeremy actually is. Yeah, yeah. Although, I mean, you say that she would survive a horror movie, but she picks up the phone and is like, the phone is out! And she needs Prue to point out to her that it's a portable handset, which means that it needs power to work. Yes. She picks up the phone and she's like, the phone's out. And Prue's like, the power's out. Yeah. Just because it's not directly attached to the thing doesn't mean it's not a cell phone. Well, okay, you're you're young enough that... Maybe you don't know. Landlines don't need power to operate. Really? Yeah, landlines don't need power to operate. But portable handsets do. Ah. Yeah, yeah. So they're going to try going down to the basement to reset the uh, power circuit. Yeah, yeah. Prue wants to go look at the circuit breaker. But Phoebe is going to go up to that attic. She's just going to go up by herself because she wants to solve this mystery. And Prue's like, 
fine, whatever. You're not going to be able to open the door and you're going to feel like an idiot. I'm going to go get the power back on. I mean, they don't say it, but it's her house too. She can go check the attic if she wants to check the attic. Yeah, and she has a little trouble with the door. She can't open it physically. But then she turns away from it and it opens on its own. Okay. Much like the pointer. Yeah, so is their mom's ghost just being a dick here? I did write in my notes, Patricia is fucking with Phoebe. Also, uh... Not Piper, but both Prue and Phoebe have midriff-bearing pajamas. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that weird. No. But there's a lot of midriff in this show. A Uh, lot of midriff. As someone who has spent not a large amount of time, but some time in San Francisco, that place is pretty cold. Oh, we might have to start playing a game on this show. That I usually play when I watch Buffy, but I think it's going to be a good game to play on this show, too. Which is, what is the temperature outside based on what these characters are wearing? It's fun to play on Buffy because she'll be wearing a spaghetti strap next to Willow, who's wearing wool tights and a giant sweater. But I have a feeling it can come up here, too. Yeah. So, Phoebe enters the attic only to find... A giant-ass book with the triquatra on top of it. Yes, the Book of Shadows. The Book of Shadows, which was the most expensive prop on set. I can see that. It looks pretty expensive. It was apparently over nine pounds. Jeez. And we don't see a lot of the illustrations in it in this episode, but the book has lots of beautiful hand-painted illustrations in it that... According to the Charmed Wikipedia, Alyssa Milano liked so much that she hired the same artist to paint a mural in her house. Oh, cool. So she finds the book pretty quickly because it is illuminated by an unearthly glow, which I think would send up some red flags for me, but fine. Oh, I know. Phoebe takes it out. Phoebe picks it up, opens it up, and immediately starts reading. And I'm like, that is not... The thing you do when you find a weird, dusty, witchy book in the attic. You don't immediately start reading the spell. What is this? Amateur hour? I'm like, people had seen the Evil Dead movies by this point. They were big in pop culture. So she reads a spell about basically awakening her and her sister's powers. Later, the show has a tendency for the spells to be really, really dumb rhyming couplets. I mean... It's not particularly well written. I'm of the opinion that if you're going to do spells, you should have them in Latin. Because even if they're stupid, Latin sounds cool. Yeah, I am of the opinion that none of the spells sound good in this show. Not the rhyming couplets they do, and not this one that she reads. But it's kind of just something you have to deal with. It Basically, it's give us the power, we want the power. Literally, the line is we want the power, we want the power. Oh, and at that point, the chandelier in the living room illuminates. Huh. Okay, Mm. there you go. You were right. I mean, I didn't doubt you, but I totally didn't notice. I didn't notice because I was too busy paying attention to the missing persons photograph that the Hallowells have in the attic. We talked about this some on our other podcast. There's a tendency in TV shows for characters to have pictures of themselves or their loved ones that can be easily panned to when one of those loved ones goes missing 
Or when there's some sort of heartbreak. Yes. Yes. The missing person's photo for the camera to pan over to so that you know that someone is missing. Mm -hmm. And in this case, it's a picture of the three sisters standing in front of the house looking very, very 90s with their Rachel haircuts and their high-waisted stonewashed jeans. Oh, yes. Those jeans. And they're all about, you know, a human's distance apart from each other in the picture. But once Phoebe casts the spell, they are magically brought close to each other. Don't get too used to that picture. All pictures of Prue will disappear the moment she dies. Weird, huh? <coughs> Likeness rights. Yeah, of course. <laughs> so Piper and Prue run upstairs to find Phoebe, who is 10,000% ready to be a witch. She's like, y'all, I found this book. It's a magic book. I cast an incantation to give us magic. And she talks about how the book told her about the three essentials of magic, uh, timing, feeling, and phases of the moon. Yeah, don't get used to that either. That will literally never come up again. Yes, and that how now, midnight, when there's a full moon, is the most powerful time, and that she has used that power to awaken their powers. And <laughs> I love how indignant Piper is that she got included in this. I mean, Prue is too. It's funny how neither of them believe her, but they're both angry that she brought them into her witchiness. See, the thing is, I think Piper does believe her, and she's mad that Phoebe looped her in on this. Mm. So it's, Piper believes her and is mad that she's now a witch against her will. Prue doesn't believe her and is mad that Phoebe tried to make her a witch against her will. We cut from the sisters to outside where a shadowy figure is standing watching the house. So Prue is mad that all of this freaky stuff started happening as soon as Phoebe came home and Phoebe's like, it's not my fault. Oh, technically it kind of is. It is her fault because the three sisters were brought together and the power of three like started up. Prue's like, look, I don't really have time for this. I need to fix up the house. And Piper's like, I, I feel weird. Like, did something change? It feels like something changed. Yeah, and the camera then pans back to the missing person's picture just to remind you of what has changed, which is kind of funny because... Yeah, and then the cloaked figure... Like, we didn't just see that. Yeah, and then we see the cloaked figure walking away, even though now would be really the perfect time to murder them. I guess he, sh he, he wants to wait until their powers manifest. Yeah, I think that's the rule. Yeah. We go to commercial and then come back the next morning when Phoebe is sitting on the front steps. And listen, Phoebe's outfits in this episode are fine, but she will become a fashion nightmare as this show goes on. And we have a little hint of it here since she's wearing socks with flip flops. I mean, I can see that it's morning in San Francisco. She want, She's wearing the flip-flops just to go outside and she's wearing the socks because it's cold. I mean, if this was a one-time thing, I wouldn't blame her. But considering what we see her wearing later, just wanted to point it out. It's a, it's a harbinger of things to come. So, uh, Piper joins Phoebe on the stairs. She's getting ready for her interview at the restaurant. And she asks Phoebe, she's like, so you're up early? And Phoebe's like, yeah, I, I was up late all night reading about magic. Because this is really interesting stuff. Phoebe has finally found her purpose. Her purpose is to be a witch. And, which is good because it does sort of tie into the fact that this is a character who has had no direction for a really long time. And she's... She came back home to try to find herself, and she found this new avenue to explore. She also tells Piper what she discovered reading the Book of Shadows, and tells us as well. 
that they are descended from a long line of witches, starting with Melinda Warren, who was burned for being a witch. That Melinda had three special powers, the ability to see the future, to freeze time, and to move objects with her mind. She says that Melinda gave birth to a line of witches and that it was foretold that there would be three sisters who would be the charmed ones who would have a greater power than any other witch who existed. And Piper points out that this is nonsense because their mother wasn't a witch and their grandmother wasn't a witch. Uh, yeah yeah piper is sort of backing off she's like look i know a whole bunch of weird magic shit happened last night but we don't have special powers we're not witches i don't want any part of this like it's best to just move on and uh phoebe's like come on witchcraft witchcraft powers how are you not so into this okay Honestly, how are you not so into this? I mean, she doesn't know the downside yet that there right? are warlocks who are trying to murder them. Yes. We go from Piper on her way to her job recipe audition thing mm-hmm. to Prue at work at the museum where she works. And let me tell you, Max, this scene, this scene is too fucking real. Prue is talking to her ex-fiance. Who is also her boss at the museum. Yes, uh, he has recently been promoted above her through not a small amount of wheeling and back dealing, as he not so subtly reveals over the course of this conversation. Apparently there is an exhibit coming up and Prue has done all of the legwork to gather all of the items for the exhibit and it became so important that this guy just had to take it over. He convinced the board that they needed someone better than Prue to do it and that person was him. It's so fucked up. He starts calling Prue Miss Hollowell, and she's like, when did you start calling me Miss Hollowell? Was it when we stopped sleeping together, or was it when I returned your engagement ring? And he said, one was certainly more enjoyable than the other, which doesn't make sense. Did he enjoy not sleeping with her anymore? Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess he might have enjoyed getting the ring back. I mean, probably not the ring... I mean, it's the sort of sentence that I can see someone saying because it makes sense in your head, and then you're like, oh, wait. They say it, and then they're like, good burn, and then, no, not really. Prue is very angry. She is so angry that she will use the very first power that we see used in this show. Yes, she telekinetically bursts a pen in his pocket, and when he takes it out to look at it, ink sprays in his face. We cut from that to Piper at her... I I do like... I do think it is a good touch that we see each of the sisters getting their powers in order of age. Oh, I hadn't thought about that being what happens, but you're right, it is. So, uh, Piper is at her audition at Quake, which is a fancy restaurant in San Francisco. She is preparing a special sauce with the port that her boyfriend gave her. The chef she is auditioning for points out that without the port, The sauce is just a salty-ass marinara. But, as we saw, she was just about to pour the port in. She didn't have time to do that before he came in to taste the pasta. Piper is trying to stop him from eating it, and she waves her hand and freezes time. Chef Moore is just frozen there in time with a goofy face about to eat the pasta. 
He has an incredibly fake French accent, which credit to the show, the next episode points out that he had a very clearly fake French accent. I think the Netflix captions might even caption it as fake French accent or exaggerated French accent. Mm. So while he's frozen, Piper takes a turkey baster and bastes up some of the port and then like drips it onto the bite he's about to eat. And that's not how cooking works. It needs to like simmer. It needs to simmer with the sauce. All he's going to taste is a mouthful of port, which I guess explains why he's like, this is delicious. Piper really took advantage of that situation like a champ, though. Right? She wasn't like, oh no, what's happening? She was like, now is my opportunity. I will seize on it. Back at the museum, Roger has changed his shirt. Roger being the name of Prue's asshole ex-fiance slash current boss. He's, we hear him on the phone, and we hear him taking credit for gathering all of the artifacts for the museum show on the phone, just in case there was any question about whether or not he was a giant asshole. And Prue overhears him as well, and is like, oh, fuck this, fuck you, I quit. Yeah, and he's like, you can't quit. I own you. You're my property. No wire hangers. Yeah, he's like, if you quit, I won't give you a good reference. And it's like, the art world is pretty small. I feel like, first of all, how much of a dick you are is definitely going to get around. And secondly, I was working for a guy, but then we got engaged and he slept with my sister, which is the story. So I dumped him and I had to quit my job is a pretty reasonable reason to not have a reference from your most recent job. They make Roger a very realistic asshole in that he immediately changes tax when he sees threatening Prue is not working. He says, look, I know you're angry and hurt right now, but I'm doing this for your own good. This is a lot of pressure. This way the pressure's on me. And I'll make sure that later down the line you'll get credit for your work on this. And she's like, fuck you. Good for Prue not buying that. She just storms out. Well, she before she storms out... She's like, you know, I organized this using my own personal organization system. Like, I have everything in my shorthand. So, the exhibit's yours. Good luck decoding everything. And he's like, you can't do this. You can't do this to me. Who do you think you are? And she's like, I think I'm the woman who's going to go find a better job somewhere else, asshole. Also, and she doesn't say this, but she's the fucking charmed one. As she storms out... She waves her hands in frustration, and we see Roger's tie tighten around his neck, choking him, nearly killing him. He has to take scissors out of his desk and cut the tie off so that he doesn't die. Uh, It's pretty great. Outside of Quake on the street, Piper is on a payphone trying to call Phoebe to figure out what is going on because, you know, she has powers now. And she had to leave a message. As she leaves the payphone, she runs into Jeremy. Jeremy in a giant-ass cable-knit sweater. It's a fisherman's sweater. I feel like that's the thing people wear in San Francisco. Yeah. Piper's like, oh, Jeremy, you're always surprising me. He's like, yeah, I'm, I'm full of surprises. And I'm sure you're full of surprises, too. I can't wait to get you alone and cut you open and pull those surprises out of you. And she's like, oh, you're so sweet. There are a lot of red flags with this guy is what I'm getting at. Yes. So we go from Piper and her red flag boyfriend to Phoebe riding her bike down the street and getting her very first premonition. She 
sees the street ahead of her and then her premonition happens. Phoebe's premonitions are flashes to black and white. And in this case, she sees a car coming down the road and two rollerbladers blading out in front of it and getting hit. So she starts to see the car coming. She knows where the rollerbladers are coming up because of the premonition. So she pulls in front of them to cut them off so they won't get hit by the car, instead nearly getting hit by the car herself. Yeah, well, I mean, she cuts them off, almost gets hit by the car, skids out on her bike. To his credit, the guy who was driving the car runs out and makes sure she's okay. And then we see Kit, the cat, looking on ominously. I would not trust that cat if I was Phoebe later. So Prue goes to the hospital to see Phoebe, who got minutely injured in the crash. Nothing major, but apparently something hospital-worthy. Yeah. And while she's there, she runs into Detective Andy. Yes. Turns out that she and Andy have a prior relationship. They knew each other at some point. We'll find out later that they were actually childhood friends and dated for a short while in high school. Yes, he had moved up to Portland. Ooh, Portland. Uh, but now he is back in San Francisco. And through the course of their conversation, he makes it clear that, you know, his his people back home let him know that Prue was engaged. So she lets him know that it's over now. He offers to buy her a shitty cup of coffee from the hospital vending machine. She's like, nah, I'm, I'm just going to pick up my sister and leave. And he's like, okay, don't get murdered. I'm a murder cop now and there's someone out there murdering women, so try not to get murdered. I mean, he does he does give her a shitty cup of coffee. The nurse comes up to them and says, it's going to be a little bit before you can pick up Phoebe. And he's like, and Prue's like, okay, I guess I'll take you up on that shitty cup of coffee. <laughs> he, uh, Prue points out, uh, Prue mentions that he's an inspector down here. Yeah, we've, like, we've been calling him detective, but he's actually Inspector Andy. Inspector Andy Trudeau. Yes. And he says, yeah, it's just what they call detectives in San Francisco. Basically, I didn't look up if that's true or not. I just assume it is because it's such an awkward line otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's true, weirdly enough, because the detective in a Speed Racer, which also takes place in San Francisco, is Inspector Detector. Oh, that makes sense. That's funny. I, I didn't know that Speed Racer took place in San Francisco. I'm pretty sure it's been a while since we've seen it. I'm just saying I could be misremembering. But yeah. So even though even though Prue is only like a few feet away from the front desk getting that cup of coffee out of the vending machine with Andy, the nurse calls her over the PA and is like, your sister's ready. Come get her. Yeah, that nurse really wants her out. <laughs> so we cut from that scene to Prue and Phoebe at a cafe Talking about the weird things that have happened today. Phoebe's like, so I totally saw the future. Have you frozen time or moved an object with your mind? And Prue's like, I didn't move an object with my mind. Uh, sure, my ex-fiance had a pen explode on him and then was nearly strangled to death with a tie, but... That happens every day at museums. <laughs> now, where's the goddamn cream? Yeah, and then the creamer sails across the bar... Right over to Prue. I love how much Phoebe no-sells this. She's just like, huh, that looks like moving objects with your mind to me. And she's not even, she moves off of it so quickly. She's like, mm, I guess that means Piper has the time for easy power. And Prue's like, no fucking way. No fucking way. And then Prue teleports the cream from out of the creamer container into her coffee 
which is not part of her power set. Yeah, teleportation's its own completely separate bag. It's not the same thing as telekinesis, which is what she has, but now we're kind of being nitpicky. Yeah. It's a pilot. So, Prue kind of leans into the, like, credit to Prue, she takes this pretty well. She's a little shocked, but she's like, so I can move objects with my mind. Okay, I think I'm going to need something a little stronger than coffee. Yeah, she immediately takes Phoebe's whiskey and downs it, which, by the way, means that Prue was drinking coffee and Phoebe was drinking whiskey. Phoebe just got out of the hospital, presumably to check that she had a concussion. Maybe she shouldn't be drinking alcohol. Also, no credit to Prue. I feel like every scene this episode, it gets reset and they have to reconvince her that she has powers. She just moved to the creamer container. We shouldn't have to have the scene that we have coming up in the pharmacy. True. I do. There's also what, There's also something that really speaks to Prue's character where she blames Phoebe for her being a witch. Although, to be fair, it is definitely Phoebe's fault. I mean, Phoebe but, cast the spell. Yeah. She's like, I can't believe you turned me into a witch. And Phoebe's like, technically, you were always a witch. I just sort of awakened our powers or whatever. And she she tells uh, Prue that she's been reading the Book of Shadows, that she's been looking at the carvings that were in it, and that there are good witches and there are bad witches. The bad witches are called warlocks, and they try to kill good witches to get their powers. This might be important for the rest of the series audience. Yeah, let's not skip over this. In this show, warlocks is the name of bad witches, and witches are just witches. Although later there will be witches that are just bad witches. But as for right now, warlocks are human people who kill witches to take their powers. And above warlocks are demons who are just naturally magically evil. Also, speaking of Prue blaming Phoebe for things that maybe are Phoebe's fault, she mentions that before their powers were awakened, they weren't really in danger. But now that their powers are awakened, there's definitely going to be a shit ton of warlocks coming after them. Yeah, because they've got cool powers and warlocks are going to want to kill them and take their cool powers. Also, they're the charmed ones, so they kind of have to kill them because otherwise they're the charmed ones. Although, really, demons could just kill people in any place that isn't San Francisco. Well, I mean, it's the Buffy thing again, right? Yeah. So we go to a taxi cab where Piper is riding with Jeremy and they've apparently gotten Chinese takeout because they're eating the fortune cookies in the back seat of the car. Piper asks Jeremy if he believes in supernatural things, things that can't be explained. And he's like, well, yeah, I believe in fate or destiny or whatever you call it. Or miracles. Miracles. And who eats Chinese food in the back of a cab? I was thinking about how rude that is, but I did mention they're eating the fortune cookies because maybe they ate the rest of the Chinese food in a Chinese restaurant like normal people, and didn't bring it into a cab. I would be so mad if I was that cabbie. So, uh, Jeremy reads his fortune, and it says that uh, tonight he is going to be on top. And Piper takes the fortune away and notes that, no, it says soon you will be on top of the world. Which you'd think that the uh, fortune would actually tie in somewhat to what Jeremy is or what's going to happen to him. Nope. Nope. If this was Buffy, maybe, but nope. Yeah, I thought it was going to be like, I don't know. Life for you is a bed of roses, or you are definitely going to explode tonight. Speaking of, Jeremy says he just had an idea, and instead of going 
back to his place as they were planning, they should go to this cool abandoned warehouse he knows about. Okay, Piper's been dating him for a few months now. but Six months. Six months, but I feel like that's still a red flag thing. Six months is enough time to know someone enough to trust them to go to a warehouse. I guess. So... At the, uh, at the pharmacy, Phoebe is picking up her prescription, which presumably she can take with alcohol. <laughs> and Prue is looking for aspirin because she has a killer headache. They are walking down the aisle looking for the aspirin, and Prue is gradually freaking out more and more. Also convinced that she doesn't have powers, even though they just saw it. This is part of a desperation thing, though. She's definitely... She doesn't want the powers. Yeah. And Phoebe says something which will be important in the show later and then not important in the show at all later, which is that their powers are rooted in emotion. First she tells Prue, why don't you try just moving the headache out of your head? She's having so much fun with the fact that they're witches. (laughs) Yes, and Prue is so angry at Phoebe saying that, that the aspirin flies off the shelf into her hand, and that's what prompts Phoebe to point out that their powers are based on emotions. Yeah, she's like, oh, let's test this. Oh, yeah. She's like, let's test this by talking about our absentee father who you absolutely hate. She starts out with, she's like, Roger. And a few more things of aspirin fly towards her and she's like, okay, dad, 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 dad. Yeah, the whole aisle kind of collapses, which you pointed out is going to be a bitch for those people to clean up. Yeah, because... Again, Phoebe was really young when their dad left. She doesn't really have memories of him. Prue was older. She she can remember her dad before he left. And more importantly, he didn't come back after their mom died. That's a big one. I mean, honestly, other than the extenuating circumstances we will learn, that really is kind of unforgivable. And honestly... I mean, though, I, I really feel like they rewrote his character to make it forgivable because as is, it's really not... Yeah, the first time we see the Hollowell's dad, he's basically a completely different character than the version of him we get later. It's a different actor, he has a different last name, and they don't have the actual backstory, which is that their grandmother stopped him from being their dad. Yeah. She kicked him out of the house and she told him that he wasn't allowed to see them. Also, she probably used magic. Like, from what we see of Graham's later... It's not really... It's not outside of the realm of possibility, definitely. Yeah. So, at the creepy abandoned warehouse, Jeremy takes Piper into one of those industrial elevators where you have to, like, pull down the cage and, like, manipulate the buttons. And she's like, what are you going to show me? And he's like, just wait, you'll be so excited, you'll die. Yeah. And then he's like, you're not going to be able to... And he's like, you're going to be so excited to go tell... Prue and Phoebe about it. And that's the thing that pushes Piper over the edge. She's like, wait, I didn't tell you Phoebe was back. And he pulls out a knife. And she's like, I don't get it. What's the joke? And he's like, the joke is that I'm going to kill you and take your magical powers because I'm a warlock. And she's like, what? No, what? And he's like, yeah, I'm the one who's been killing all the witches. See, look, I got this cool little finger firepower that that witch had at the beginning of the episode. Okay, it's not a cool finger firepower, though. I mean, it was cool when she was touching the candles and making them light, but he just holds up his hand and it looks like he's got candles on the, like, birthday candles on the tips of his fingers. That's not cool. That's way less cool. Her, Her power was fire fingers. Candle hand. Candle hand. 
which I wish they did more with this with the witches we see later because we do know that there are other witches. And it would have been cool if the other witches did have powers, but they were just like those powers, weaker powers. That would have been cool. But the witches we see later don't. They have like charmed one level powers because the show kind of loses its shit pretty quickly. Yeah. So Jeremy rears back with the knife. And his face does this weird swirl thing. Like an after effects scrunch effect. Yeah, it's not great. And then it immediately goes back to regular face. Oh, it's almost like they wanted to do a version of vamp face. Yeah. And then they immediately realized it was a terrible idea, but didn't take out this one shot of it. That's exactly what it feels like. Yeah, they this this would be where the vamp face would kick in. They honestly probably should have just left the effect out. Yeah, yeah. I honestly it feels like they forgot to take it out. But Piper freezes time and crawls out of the elevator. Um This first episode feels really light horror movie. There are a lot of light horror elements to it, which the show sadly ends up dropping later. Oh yeah, this will not really be a horror show later, but the crawling out of the elevator and then of course he, time unfreezes. And Actually, a lot of the first season does feel like it has horror elements to it. Well, the one about the hollow in the basement is definitely a straight up horror movie. I mean, even the one with the shapeshifter that's coming up. Oh yeah, I guess so. Later, it'll just be about the girls' romances. Yeah, it it definitely takes a sharp turn into... Uh, I don't want to say sitcom. Well, let me let me just drop this real fast. Constance and Burge really wanted this show to be about family and about sisters and about sisterhood. And, and about witchcraft. Yes, but specifically, I feel like she gave it a real haunted house vibe, right? Horror, there's a whole genre of horror movies that are based on kind of, this is going to sound terrible, <laughs> the horror of family yeah right like you've got your you've got your exorcist which is mentioned in this episode you've got your Duke, rosemary's baby and th those are all like motherhood horrors i can't actually think of any good sister horror movies but that's definitely what this show was going for ginger snaps of course how could i i know it's more of a monster movie than a yeah but no that's that now i'm splitting hairs yeah of course of course i now I, I feel like a terrible human for forgetting ginger snaps the most classic sister horror movie of all time see i'm taking it from a little bit of a different direction i feel like the horror elements are more tied into the fact that constance emberge was interested in the spiritual aspects of witchcraft where witchcraft later in the show basically just becomes a go-to thing for superpowers. Well, I mean, we keep talking about Buffy, but honestly here, aren't we dealing with the 90s Sabrina the Teenage Witch? Where in early seasons, it was about being a teenage witch, and then in later seasons, like, she doesn't use her witch power for, like, entire episodes, and it's about her getting a job at Spin Magazine? Yes, there is. There's a lot of that here. So time unfreezes, but Piper is able to grab a piece of wood and just slam him over the head with it. Yeah, and she manages to crawl out of the abandoned building. It's an incredibly tense scene, and there's fear in it, which, sadly, we I feel like we say this so much already in the podcast, but that we lose later. There's such raw tension here. Again, there's a lot borrowed from horror movies. Yes. So we go from that to 
Phoebe, so we go from that to Phoebe back at the manor, listening to the answering machine messages. There's a groveling message from Roger, but there's no message from Piper. Phoebe says that she must be out with Jeremy and, you know, who knows where she is. We did see Piper trying to leave a message in the phone booth. Piper did leave a message in the phone booth. So I think we're meant to know that and know that Jeremy must have done something magical to erase that message. Mm. God, I feel bad for the witch he killed that had that power. <laughs> yeah, not a useful power. Although, I don't know. There are some situations where being able to erase messages from phones would come in handy. Or maybe it was like machine empathy, which is super useful. Mm, but not so great at stopping people from stabbing you to death. Well, so far none of the witches he's killed have had a good power for stopping themselves from being stabbed to death. Candle hands! <laughs> Prue comes in with Kit the cat. Apparently the cat got in through, I don't know, an open window or something. And I guess Prue's just adopted it now. Yep, their cat now. I guess if you want your cat to be returned, you should probably have your information on the collar and not a triquatra. I guess. So, Piper runs in and she's like, Hey, so I froze time and Jeremy's some sort of weird creepy monster guy and he tried to kill me. So we need to lock up the house and call the police. Which, I mean, for all of his powers, Jeremy is just a normal human dude. This is one of the places where actually the police could probably handle this situation. Also, we know that the police are specifically looking for him. So maybe in this one instance, they should have called the police. And you know, I will rarely say that you should call the police. Yeah, but in this case, if they shoot him, who cares? Yeah. So... We see him, Jeremy, in the elevator, wake up from the blow to the head and crawl out and go running towards the girls. And he says, you know, I'm going to get you, you bitch. And according to the Charmed Wikipedia, Eric Scott Woods, who plays Jeremy, was uncomfortable using the word bitch. So it's a different actor dubbed in when he says bitch this time and then the other time when he says it to Phoebe. Yeah, I can hear, I can definitely hear it being dubbed in. Why would they, I, I don't know why they thought that was important to keep in. It is, it feels really uncomfortable. It's weird. And it's one of those, it, it's weird. It's the same thing I said with Roger where, I mean, I like it. I like that it's like, oh, this guy is a real asshole. As it's, in, this is the kind of asshole we really deal with every day. It's very specifically gendered violence. Yes. And, I mean, look, I'm not... Look, I understand that you want to be a good guy, but you're an actor playing a mass murderer where you draw the line is saying the word bitch. And, and like, where you draw the line is the word coming out of your mouth. You're okay with an actor dubbing it over your mouth so it looks like you're saying it? What a weird line to draw. Well, I guess we know why we didn't really hear a bunch from him later. It's just so bizarre to me. I, I don't know. I mean, I feel like it is kind of good for him, right? I, yeah. uh, he's an actor. This is his job. I don't know. He's playing a guy who murders women, but he's going to take a stand. At, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know. It's just a weird little thing that I had to bring up because it's such a weird thing. Well, he's definitely not getting any jobs in a uh, Quentin Tarantino movie. Also, oh, yeah, right. Also, brief spoilers, he's not going to come up in one of our segments coming up, Premonitions. Mm, yes. 
Spoiler for premonitions. Yes. So, uh, so Phoebe has an idea. Prue wants to call the cops, and Piper's like, what are you going to tell them, that some freak with powers beyond comprehension is after us? Although, really, you could just tell them, hey, my boyfriend tried to stab me. Right? Like, I mean, he had the twisty face thing in candle hand, but, like... You don't need to tell the cops that part. It's like in Rosemary's Baby, you know? She didn't need to tell the cops these people summoned Satan and now I'm pregnant with his baby. They could have, She could have just said, my neighbors are cultists who want to kidnap my baby. Although that also sounds more crazy than my boyfriend tried to stab me. That's true. So, I really, really like this scene. The, the girls go up to the attic to perform ritual magic. Yes, Phoebe's like, look... The cops aren't going to be able to do anything to stop him. We're the charmed ones. It's our responsibility to stop him. And I think I found something that can do that. And they cast ritual magic. There's a doll. There's a rose. They have a cauldron. They do. They have candles. They have candles. They light the doll on fire. It's They wrap the rose around the doll. They press the thorns into the doll. And then they light it on fire and drop it into the cauldron. And and, I, and we see on the other side of town, thorns pop out of Jeremy, and he's feeling the effects of the spell. Yeah, he's burned and thorns stick through him, but it doesn't stop him. Yeah, when Phoebe touches the cauldron, she has a premonition of him on his way to the house, so she knows that it didn't kill him. Which, again, I really like this, and I wish it was something that they did more in this show, where magic can fail where a vanquish can fail and where magic requires more than just saying rhyming couplets yeah i mean i have a theory about why this vanquish failed Mm -hmm. um the spell that piper recites seems to be an anti-love spell Mm -hmm. she says my love will leave my heart and you will leave my life And I feel like that's the kind of thing that keeps a mortal lover away from you. Not the kind of thing that vanquishes a demon or a warlock. I thought the spell failed because they needed 12 candles. And one of the candles they used was a birthday candle because Phoebe couldn't find any other candles. I mean, that could have been it too. It was nine. It was nine candles. Nine candles. Because three threes. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So... They do what I think is the smart thing, which is they run downstairs to get out of the house where Jeremy knows that they are, but it's too late. Jeremy is already in the house. And then we see Prue doing a real mother moment where she blocks the other two girls. She is protecting them with her body. Yeah, she pushes the two of them behind her as she telekinetically shoves Jeremy into a wall. And he says it's a cool parlor trick, bitch. And she just shoves him into a wall again. Yeah. Also, if you listen to that bitch and the bitch he said earlier when he was on his way to fight them, it's the exact same bitch because they only recorded another actor saying the word bitch once. It's a little masked by the fact that they start doing this effect on his voice where it's all echoey. And apparently he killed a witch with telekinesis because they run up to uh, they run up to the attic and they barricade the door. But he starts moving the objects away from the door. Apparently, he also killed a witch who had the power to see through objects because he's like, did you think a chair could stop me? And then he moves the chair away. Did you think a dresser could stop me? And then he moves the dresser away. Then he blows up the door. Where are all these cool ass powers when you were trapped alone with Piper in the uh, in, in the abandoned building? 
It's true. And then he throws a fireball at them that creates a giant circle of fire around them. Yeah. He should have done that before he tried to stab her, and then she wouldn't have been able to run away. Also, dude, you're just making it harder for you to stab them. It's true. You're putting a thing between you and them so that they can do their very first power of three spell. Yes, they t- they all hold hands and they start chanting, the power of three will set us free, which is one of the things that was written on the back of the spirit board. Weird pull, but fine. Sure, it's, all, it's the only thing they know. And they have it memorized because they've probably read the inscription from their mother many, many times. Yeah, Prue, point, uh, Prue pointed out earlier, she's like, Phoebe was always moving it when we played it when we were kids. Yeah. So while they're doing this incantation on him, he does this weird thing where I feel like he's setting up the concept of the show. He's like, you might vanquish me, but I'm only one of millions of foes that you may meet. A bunch of different warlocks are going to come after you and it's going to be bad and then you're going to fall in love with the source of all evil and oh... They're going to come at you in different sexy forms every week where you'll meet them in different exotic, erotic locations. And then, and then the costumes, the costumes. Yeah, then he blows up. Which, it's weird because he, he shoot after the fire, he shoots a wind ball at them and they're surrounded by wind. And what was the point of that? I thought the wind was being created by their spell. I did too, but he he points at them and there's a little wind ball that pops out. And... What was the point of that, dude? Yeah. Also, what was the point of that special effects department? It would have made more sense if the wind was from them casting the spell. Yeah. Huh. But apparently repeating the power of three will set us free a whole bunch, makes him explode. He, he does this very Power Rangers waving his arms above his head. It seems like he kind of gave up on trying to kill them near the end. Yeah, no, then he just became the guy delivering the message about what they're going to have to face week after week. Yeah. Yeah. So we go from that to the next morning. The girls seem pretty cool about having killed a guy. Yeah, because... A guy who, keep in mind, was a human. Yeah, let's be clear here. Warlocks are human people who kill witches to get their powers, so not great. But they did make a human living man explode. But, like I said, Prue's fine with it. She goes outside to get the paper and waiting outside for her is Detective Andy. Yes, Detective Andy, who she's like, oh, he's like, I feel bad for, you know, the shitty coffee I got you earlier. And she's like, so you got me good coffee. And he's like, oh, no, this is mine, which is a cute exchange. It is cute. But he wants to ask her out for dinner. And she's like, I don't know. Like, we'll see. A lot of stuff is going on in my life right now. I just found out I'm a witch and my sister's back in town. and I have a cat now, so... There's a lot going on. I feel like, honestly, this part is also setting up what's going to happen week after week. Because she's like, oh, I don't know. I have to balance my life and my love and keeping my secret and going on dates. And, wow, this is going to be complicated. And then she does say that she's going to call him. But she goes in to talk to her sisters and she's like, wow, being a witch and also dating is going to be weird. Yeah, and Piper's like, yeah, but you can bet that it's not going to be boring. All of the adventures we're going to get up to with our new powers. Piper also says witches get the best guys, which is not going to prove to be true, y'all. <laughs> nope. Uh, unless you mean Cole. I honestly think Cole was the best. I, I like Leo, too. I think Leo is a good guy. I mean, we'll talk about it when we we'll, meet Leo. We'll talk about Leo. Not that there are not issues with Leo. Andy notices because 
Phoebe comes out holding Kit, that, you know, Phoebe has Kit now, which is kind of suspicious since that was the cat that belonged to one of the dead witches. But I don't think that actually gets followed up again. I don't think so either. This does begin one of the, I think, longest running gags in Charmed, which the, uh, which never gets brought to attention by anyone in universe. But the fact that they in no way solved the murders, like the murderer just disappeared forever and stopped killing people. But none of the, the police don't know what happened there. Well, not to get too real again, but that's also not that unusual, you know, like no more women were murdered. They never found the guy. Like these are just some more unsolved cases. Wow. That's incredibly depressing. Yeah. So they all walk into the house talking about the sexy new adventures they'll have every week, and Prue turns over her shoulder, gestures at the door, and the door closes. And that's the end of the first episode of Charmed. So a lot of pilots have issues where a lot of people don't like to count the pilots as the first episode. Tina Fey famously talked about how she never watches the first episode of 30 Rock because it doesn't feel like the actual show to her. It's not a good episode of 30 Rock. In fact, it's funny, on Slate this week, Slate.com, mm-hmm. there was a random article in the entertainment section about how you should really start 30 Rock with Tracy Does Conan, and you should ignore everything that comes before because they didn't know what they were doing yet. But weirdly here, I feel like the first episode of Charmed might also be one of legitimately the best episodes of Charmed. I think there are some shows that have good pilots, and I definitely think Charmed is one of them. And I was looking at the IMDb ratings, because somebody in the Charmed wiki mentioned that this is the, quote, highest rated episode of Charmed. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm i like, rated by who? So I went to IMDb, because IMDb does ratings for every single episode, and it's rated high. It's like an 8.4, but it's not the highest rated, but it's one of them. I was thinking, like, in terms of viewership. I don't think that's what they meant either. Huh. But, yeah, I think this is one of, if not the strongest episode of Charmed. It comes out fairly fully formed right out of the gate. You get a strong sense of these characters' dynamics. There are a few things that feel a little expository, but not in a way that takes you out of the story. Well, Constance and Burgess really had a strong concept for what she wanted to do. And I think that we're going to find, I mean, I'll see. we'll see if this is true, you know, in the coming weeks. But I think that we're going to find that episodes written by Constance Burgess are the strongest. I also just want to kind of put out here that this show got accused of ripping off the craft a lot. Mm. Literally, other than the fact that it's about witches, there is nothing similar to the craft about this show. Well, they both use that song, the I'm the sun, I'm the air song. That's in both of them. But it I think was the ba- 90s. That song was everywhere. Yeah. yeah. But... Yeah, there's not really a lot of overlap between the two other than they both have witches. You know it's a ripoff of The Craft, kind of? The Covenant? The Covenant, which is a... Boy Craft? It's basically The Craft if The Craft was softcore gay porn. I mean, that sounds like a great selling point. Yeah, if you want to see Sebastian Stan in a very, very homoerotic young role... The Covenant's the movie for you. I mean, I'm sure there are lots of people who do. Yeah, I, I have been on the internet. I... <laughs> so let's talk about our segments that we're going to do on this show. Yes, we have three segments. Uh, like the Charmed Ones, The Power of Three Will Set Us Free. And these three powers are Premonition is our first one. 
So one of the cool things about Charmed, one of the things I like about Charmed, is how many guest stars there are on it. How much Hey It's That Guy or Before They Were Famouses pop up on Charmed. There are a bonkers amount of Before They Were Famous. Uh, Zachary Quinto is on the show Before He's Famous. Rain Wilson. John, John Cho. Cho is coming up. Yeah. yeah. Um, Amy Adams is on this show. Like, there's a lot of people who become famous later. Hell, even Kelly Cuoco was on this show before she was Bazinga. Penny on the Big Bang Theory. She'll always be Bazinga to me. <laughs> yes, our second segment is called Time Freeze. Yes, uh, where we find what very specifically dates this show. Uh, wait, oh, wait, are, do are we, we want to do each do... sec? Yeah. <laughs> So our pre- our premonition for the first episode, we're mostly going to be talking about the careers of the three actresses who starred in this. Yeah, so unfortunately, there were no really great guest stars on this episode. But of course, we do have the three sisters. We have Shannon Doherty, more, more commonly known to everyone as Brenda from 90210. Yes, premonitions will work both forwards and backwards, as we will see people who were once famous and people who will be famous. Yes. Also, Alyssa Milano plays Phoebe. And, of course, you know Alyssa Milano from Who's the Boss? Oh, I was going to say the Double Dragon movie where she's a gang leader. Okay, people might know that, but I think the thing she's known for is Who's the Boss? (laughs) Yes. She was in a lot of stuff in the 90s. Well... Alyssa Milano tried really, really hard to break out of the child actress prison by doing a lot of softcore movies. Mm. Speaking of Rose McGowan, which we will at some point. Yes, yes. But before we get to Rose McGowan, we have the third sister, Piper, Holly Marie Combs. Um, Who you would probably know from Picket Fences. I think that was the big thing she was in. I actually didn't know that about her. The thing I knew about her is that she has an uncredited background role in The Craft. Wow. Yep. So that is our premonitions, which are all, you know, back conditions or memories for this show. Postmonitions. Postmonitions, of course, of course. Uh, but I'm sure we'll start seeing the future as soon as our powers are more established. There you go. Our second segment is Time Freeze. Yes, where we find the things that specifically date this episode in time. And boy, our cup runneth over here, don't we? I know. So I just I just wrote down one, which is Phoebe checking the answering machine for a message from Piper. And when there isn't a message, having no other way to contact her. Yeah, I was going to say payphones. Yeah, payphones, definitely. Oh. Also, Piper has that weird stringy bang thing in some of her scenes, but not all of them. That was a thing in the 90s. She definitely has 90s bangs. And as we saw in the photograph, in the missing persons photograph, uh, she's got like the Rachel haircut there. Mm. Also high-waisted acid-washed pants. Yes. Their fashion in this episode can definitely be part of the time freeze. It's definitely 90s fashion. As the show goes on, that won't be a thing so much because their fashion will be from no period that anyone would ever wear. And our last segment, our final and perhaps most powerful power, telekinesis. What genuinely moved you this episode? Okay, so for this episode, the thing that genuinely moved me was when Phoebe first uses her powers. 
Phoebe being able to save the rollerbladers because it's just a moment where you know that she's been so adrift her whole life and she finally has like the mission. She knows that this is what she was meant to do and she's excited to do it and she actually saves two lives. Yeah, there's no hesitation there. She just goes for it. She has the premonition and she just does what she can. For me, uh, the thing that genuinely moved me was a very small thing that you brought up, but I thought it was such a great touch. The fact that Prue pushes Phoebe and uh, Piper behind her when Jeremy breaks into the house. Oh, yeah, that was a good one, too. And the thing is, it's subtle. It's just a little body movement, but it works so well, and it does so much to establish her character as someone who is harsh but does genuinely care about her sisters. It's a really good use of body language. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good, good moment. So I think that does it for Something Wicca This Way Comes. Next episode, which we'll be talking about in two weeks, is called I've Got You Under My Skin. And the Netflix description is, A good-looking man kidnaps young, beautiful women and sucks their youth and beauty out of them to keep his own youth. Now he has designs on Phoebe. So I think that'll about do it this week. Yeah, I think that's about it. Our show is partially listener-supported. If you want to be one of those supporters, you could head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision, and click on our Patreon link. We'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Sam, Cassidy, Alex, Alicia, Ryan, Maracruz, Rosa, Javier, and Benjamin. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. And we would especially appreciate it if you would give us a rating this week. Ratings the first couple of weeks that you're on Apple Podcasts are the most important for boosting your show up, helping us be uh, seen in that algorithm. And so we'll actually also shout out any reviews we get this week as well. Yes. If you want to talk about this episode or really any episode of any show, you can join our Facebook group, Welcome to Television. We can also be contacted at I love TV zines on Twitter or at I love television zines at gmail.com. So until next week, I'm Tina. And I'm Max. And this has been Welcome to Hallowell Manor. <laughs>